Leibold to the right hand, puts her down. He's going to jump him hard to the ice. Brady Leibold just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Lazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Liebold, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. I'm grateful, oh yeah, able, oh yeah, I'm stable, oh yeah, no label, oh yeah, you know me, I have only what's going on everyone welcome episode 84 hockey to hell and back i'm brady liebold coming at you guys live from muskoka ontario really trying hard to hold back tears because tonight is not the night to get into it but i know there's a lot of people maybe watching right now i see there's a lot of people watching and um we lost a brother uh former teammate somebody very close to my heart um and uh, I passed away of an overdose on Christmas. And I just, honestly, I don't even have the words right now. Um, it hasn't even sunk in. I haven't talked to his parents at all, uh, but I've spoken to some of the family members and out of respect for them. We're just going to keep it really quiet um, right now. Uh, but when the time is right, 
I'm going to be talking a lot about it. And um, I'm just going to try to move on from it because there's not much more else I can say. Uh, I've cried 40 times in the last two days. I'm still in disbelief. And um, I'm personally having a pretty difficult time with it. I appreciate everybody's um, just kind words and support. Um, the ones that do know, um, I just appreciate it. And I'm just really thinking of his family um, and all of those um, that are going to be missing him. And, uh, you know, addiction is is extremely powerful. And, you know, the last couple of years, I've constantly reminded myself of how lucky I am. I've had several uh, people on this show and I've met several people um, who've been able to battle out of addiction as well. Um, but there's so many that that just that just didn't make it, couldn't make it. Um, and I know, I know how that feels. And I still ask myself, why, why am I here? Um, but I, you know, I could have sat back and, and said, Hey, no podcast tonight. I didn't, haven't been going to work. I'm, I'm really upset. Um, but I know that this show not only, uh, has it helped me tremendously. So thank you to everyone who supported me through the show. Uh, but through the messages uh, that I've gotten repeatedly, um, due to maybe some of the things that I've done, but a lot to just the conversations that we've had on this show. Uh, my guests have been phenomenal. Uh, I know that we're helping people. Um, and so I didn't feel like there was an option. I had to, to get on here and just keep pushing forward uh, because we can't change the past, um, but we can make a difference in the future moving forward. Um, before I shoot it over to Team Issued, I just want to say uh, hello uh, to everybody, but especially right now, the Miner family. I, I know they're watching. I just got home and they sent me um, a beautiful new mug from David's Tea and a bunch of teas. They know that I love my tea and check this one out with the mustache. And the Miner family lost their son, Daniel, uh, to an overdose uh, this year as well. And um, you know, I'm just thinking about you guys. I love you. Um, I know there's a lot of families out there uh, that have lost loved ones. And I just... Again, I just I'm thinking of all of you guys um, and just thank you so much for your support. And I just I love the tea and I, I love you guys and I can't wait to get down there and to see you guys again. And I really don't know what else to say. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, so let's hear from Team Issue and we'll be back with Richard Greenup. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leovold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. Teamissued.ca, promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. Awesome. Uh, thank you, Regan Bartel, uh, everyone over there at Team Issued. Uh, this is a really important episode as well. Um, you know, Richard's going to come on here. He's going to share his story in as much or as little as detail as he wants. But, um, you know, before I bring him in, I just want to give a bit of a backstory. And, you know, him and I connected almost, I guess, a year ago. Um, you know, he was very open with his story uh, with me. Uh, he had some stuff going on behind the scenes. Uh, so we put the podcast on hold, but we remained in uh, fairly close contact, not as close as maybe a, a, either one of us had liked, but, you know, life happens. And and now we're here and 
you know, he messaged me and said, Hey, I think I'm ready to do a podcast. And there's so much value um, to this story. And, you know, as we continue to uncover these stories, um, just in the hockey world alone, you know, I hope that it's eye opening uh, for all of those uh, in the beautiful world of hockey. As great as it is, there's a lot of pitfalls and pursuing the dream of playing in the NHL or p- playing pro hockey. It can have a, it can have a very, very harsh price um, for those that make it and definitely for those that almost die trying. So without further ado, uh, I'm really excited to introduce you guys originally from Oshawa, Ontario. Windsor Spitfire, Mem Cup champ, former Toronto Marley, draft pick of the Chicago Blackhawks, my man, Richard Greenup. What's going on, buddy? How are you? Thanks for having me. Hey, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for doing this. I've been, you know, as you know, I've been looking forward to doing this for a uh, for a long time, and, and you and I have uh, fairly similar stories, don't we? Yeah, it's um, it's kind of wild when I first uh, pick, picked up on you and listened to your story. We have a lot of similarities, a little bit of difference, but uh, in the end, you know, it's uh, everybody has their own story, and if you make it out, we're we're doing good. Then, so absolutely, and you know, you're originally from Oshawa. Uh, yeah, I'm actually, yeah, Bowmanville. It, I, Bowmanville, yeah. okay. So that's like me saying Vancouver, but I'm originally from Port Coquitlam, probably something along those lines. But okay, yeah. Bowmanville. Um, but drafted by the Windsor Spitfires and must have been a dream. I mean, what was what was your headspace? I just want to jump right into this, uh, getting drafted to the O uh, as a hockey player. Like, where, where were you at and what were you prepared to do to make it to that next level? Yeah. Uh, to be honest with you, we watched the draft and they said uh, I was drafted to Windsor and all I wanted to know is uh, how, how close to home I was. <laughs> I didn't, I had no idea, didn't really even care what the about team, nothing at the time. Like I, I just wanted to know how, how I was going to be able to be home or not. So, yeah, that's a, that's a tough one, right? Like, and that's something, yeah. that, uh, you know, not everyone is, is prepared for um, no. when you ended up, when you ended up making the team, um how was that for you because windsor's not in that close to oshawa right so no it was uh it was four hour jaunt um and uh i did one year in tier two before i went to windsor actually um what happened was i went out to windsor i really didn't like it out there it was different management um before bugner and those guys had taken it over um and to be honest with you, when I was going to the draft, my heart really wasn't into hockey. Like I, I, I didn't, wasn't sure I wanted to play. And my father kept saying, you know, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens kind of thing. You know what I mean? Cause hockey was more of uh, me and my father's thing for him and I to do together. And, um, once, once I knew I was to be moving away, it was no longer just him and I anymore. So realistically, my, my mindset and my heart in the game was, my my point of playing it was for my father and at that point it wasn't going to be him and i anymore so um i i came back and did a year tier two and uh i wasn't playing at all it was a a a coach that uh thought he would kind of do it old school and if you were a rookie you didn't get much time on the ice so um i started fighting (laughs) the old man thought that was kind of a you know you're not going to get charged fighting in hockey. You know, you fight in the streets, you're going to get charged. So 
that was kind of the safe thing. And I had my own spot in the stands because not the league. If you fought, you you're kicked out of the game. So I had my own seat in the stands. I people would be right there with the coffee for me. So I'd go in, fight, and go watch the rest of the game. Let me stop, next, stop you yeah. first. So, like, that's you know, that's you're essentially a kid, right? You're talking probably 16 years old that year. I was, right? I was just, I was 15, turning 16. Yeah. 15, turning 16, and here you are uh, trying to make an impact on a coach. So you take on the role as a fighter. What was, uh, how did you get received in the dressing room by the fans, by the coach? Once you started to do that, um, I I started to get more attention. I didn't get more playtime. But uh, I definitely got attention. I got a lot of the older guys, 20, 21-year-olds, got their attention real quick. Um, and it made you and feel then, good. And it, made you, it probably made you feel pretty good, right? More like accepted and, and, and feel like you're more part of the team. Is that fair to say? Or, or? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because like I said, I wasn't, like I told you before, I wasn't your typical um, hockey guy, I guess you could say. I um I was kind of a bit of an outcast for the most part, right? So, especially in that team, I think I, I felt a lot out of the out of the team on that one. Yeah, and that's that's a really really tough spot to be in. And I think you and I have talked uh, off the record about about that on numerous occasions, and, and just sort of you know, I also felt much the same a lot of the times. I just felt like, what the hell am I doing here? I, I don't I don't belong here. I don't fit in. I don't yeah. I don't feel good here. Um, yeah. You know, and there was a time when when there was a when it was quite the opposite, right? So take me take me to your time when you get to Windsor. You've already taken on the role of of fighting, and you get to Windsor. Are, are you expected to make the team? Were you going there with all your bags, ready to make the Windsor Spitfires? No, um, I went there. I wasn't sure I was if I wanted to play. Um, my dad said, "Let's go try out. If you make it, you can stay for a month or two. If you don't like it, come home." So I went and they had a guy named, uh, I think his name was Mark Sims, some older guy, big, big boy. And I think the fight was for the spot and they set us up very first shift, first game. We went center ice and I cleaned him up really good. And uh, the camp continued and we went into exhibition and I fought every game on and on and on. And, they told me how to spot. So, and then after they told me how to spot, I, 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 I billeted for the camp because I just kind of was wanted the experience and I stayed in that billet home. My billet family was just amazing people. And, uh, from there you kind of get the old shell, like hockey life. And, you know, you get to go to the bars, you get to do all the fun stuff. And that's kind of why I stayed. I think that's kind of was the winning decision for me. Wow. So, I mean, it's kind of a, a whirlwind, right? Like it's a lot, yeah. a lot for a kid to take in. Where are you at uh, mentally at this time? And, and like, had you tried uh, drinking and, and, and drugs? Was that kind of a part of your life at this time heading into winter? Well, where were you at? Drinking was uh, always normal. I came from a very, uh, like an English fam. Like my, my dad was English. Like everything, everything was a pint. Like it was, it wasn't unhealthy. Like it was just, you know what I mean? You had a beer with dinner or like whatever. Um, and then high school party was kind of normal stuff like that. Um, it wasn't a big part of my life. It, like drinking was just kind of, my parents always eased me into it. So I'd be responsible when the time would come. Um, 
it was more so the second year um, after we lost Mickey Renault. And uh, that's when things started kind of the whirlwind. And I started getting introduced to um, the drugs and, and a little more drinking. The drinking I never had an issue with. Like to this day, I'll still have beers here and there or whatever. Like nothing, not like maybe once a month or something like that, right? Like, but uh, those days after Mickey passed, it was, I think they, we put us on hold for 13 days and it was a, a 13 day bender. They didn't, we didn't play any games, nothing. Like I got introduced, introduced the cocaine in those times. And then uh, later in the year, I had a bit of an injury. And, uh, that's when I got my first prescription and, uh, that's when it ended. <laughs> wow. There's a lot to yeah. unpack there. I want to, I just want to quickly, uh, rewind there. And I can't imagine what you guys went through, uh, losing a teammate in that fashion. Um, I posted a picture there. Um, yeah. You know, that's a, that's a lot for, for a team to go through. And I, I'm asking you this question because it's just, a just, simple whether it happened or it didn't happen um and not to, to pick on any league or team or anything because we can't change but you know what i hear there is like there's a huge tragedy that happens um when that took place on the team what what how was that like was there any intervention from any outsource side like did you guys have any support for that like what did oh, that look? to be honest with you man like it was they were amazing um okay. they they were they had a full crisis team. Um, so I'll, I'll just break it down to what happened uh, in the morning. So we were out that night. We were coming back. It was a Sunday. We were coming back from Owen Sound. And we wanted to get back so we could have some drinks or whatever, have a party that night. We just came off a road trip. It was a Sunday. We are trying to get back before close. And it was just small. One of those weird nights, like we got back and we went to Tecumseh. And we went to um, the coach's bar and they that closed down at uh, like midnight. And uh, the only other place open to come see till 2 a.m. was uh, the Boston Pizza. So me, Mickey, Josh Bailey, um, Reed, uh, a few of the guys or whatever. We all went back. We all went to Boston Pizza and a fight broke out and the cops came and everything else. And then I guess our coaches were in a cab coming past Boston Pizza and saw the cops out front. So they thought they would come in to make sure all the boys were all right because they knew we were there. And uh, we ended up drinking all night and having a good time that that night. And then the next morning was the very first family day, like, you know, the holiday, the very first family, family day holiday. Yeah. And uh, Mickey's sisters was home. Um, and the mom was home, everything else. A few of the guys went back to Mickey's place to uh, stay the night after that. That night, me, Josh Bailey, and my roommate went home to Windsor. And the next day, we had public skates with the fans. And uh, we, I picked up Josh Bailey, went to go drive to the rink. We got a call saying, you know, we got to get to the rink immediately. Um, something happened to Mick this that and the other so we got to the arena we went to the dressing room everybody was sitting in their stall a few guys were teary-eyed we weren't too sure what was going on um uh warren reichel came in and uh announced that 
they met the hospital, they met the ambulance at the hospital and Mickey was gone. So from that point, they uh, brought in all the, all the, everything, like all the therapists, psychologists, they had a whole team of uh, crisis intervention people and they actually handled it beautifully. Did they control what we were doing? Not very much. I think they, you know, they knew we were kids and we were boys and they couldn't really tell us what to do and we were going to do what we were going to do anyway. Um, and, but as for the staff and, and the people in the, in the organization, they couldn't have handled it any better. That's for sure. I love to hear that. And I think yeah. there's there's something to be said about they can handle it as, as great as they did. Um, but at the end of the day, sometimes, you know, we, we deal with things differently. Or we're not ready to open up and talk about it or whatever. And so you, you, inter- you talked about how you were introduced to cocaine. This is during your time in the Ontario Hockey League. How, like, you don't have to give me the rundown or whatever, but is this something that happened with fellow hockey players? And, and the reason why I ask is because I think a lot of people assume when you go to play junior hockey, you're going to play junior hockey. But things like this, and this is not a one-off occasion, uh, we hear these stories all the time on the show. So that's why I ask. I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, no, like I wasn't introduced it, to it through the guys. It was... I had a lot of friends, like I said, I wasn't like your typical hockey player. I always made my friends wherever I was playing in whatever city I was playing in. I had my own set of friends outside of the team. Obviously, I was still friends with the guys on the team in Windsor. There was a great group of guys in that dressing room. Um, But yes, I was introduced to it there. Um, And I didn't get hard into it. I I didn't use it or ever buy it really for that matter. But that's what started the drug run. It was after Mick and all that stuff happened. And then shortly after that, I had a shoulder injury, I believe it was. And I uh, had gotten a prescription. And uh, from there, it was, you know, I was taking perks. Like, like you know, every once in a while, this, that, and the other. And then next thing you know, the bottle's done. And then you start buying them. And then, you know, it, you know how it escalates. It was up to about. 60 perks a day at one point, I think yeah. your stomach's curling over because all the Tylenol in it. How old are you then? I think it was about, uh, 19. Yeah, it was, it went from like my second year into my third year into Mem Cup year was really starting to use the perks. Um, I didn't get heavy, like up to the 60 numbers until after Mem Cup, like after into going into pro. Yeah. But you were, you would like, you know, during your Mem Cup run, would you say like you were uh, dependent on on opiates, these Percocets? No, no, no. I was, I was using them, but I didn't get dependent until probably I started playing for Toronto. Okay, okay. So what about what about the first kind of experiences you had back then before you became dependent? I just uh, asked because it's not stuff that I get into in the show. Yeah kind of curious like what was how did it make you feel like did were you kind of like self-aware right off the hop to say hey like you know this makes me feel pretty good i might have a problem with this or was it just like gradually and before you know it you're like holy shit what the hell's going on like how did that happen i wasn't sure at that time i like i was pretty in tune with my body and my health like like i was a very i was very ripped i yeah i would they they would basically have to lock me out of the gym in that place um but what what happened was uh, when I 
I was taking them for the first time and it was the first thing to ever shut my brain off. I, you know, I was my whole life battling with anxiety and a little bit of depression and um, they had me on prescriptions for any anxieties and everything else. Nothing ever worked. It's the only thing that made me worse. And uh, the first time I ever took Percocet was the very first time my brain stopped. And for that matter, I was wondering why the hell haven't they been prescribing me this for for a long time? Because I didn't understand. Like, I didn't even, the pain didn't do anything for me for pain. It was just finally I, I could get away from my brain. That's right. And that's something, you know, I've taught, I've kind of touched on this a few times and uh, I, I certainly wasn't aware of it. And I don't think most people are. When you think of painkillers, we think of physical pain, but they also yeah. feel emotional pain. They're great emotional painkillers. And that's, yeah. and that's the thing. And so take us into, you guys go on the, uh, you, you win the Mem Cup, you guys beat out my, my Kelowna Rockets the year after I played there. And uh, you guys, I remember watching it on TV. You guys had just an unbelievable team, pretty awesome experience. Um, you're drafted by Chicago, but end up signing with Toronto. Take us through that a little bit and how that happened. So we, uh, went to Cancun after Mem Cup and, uh, I get a call to Chicago was going to drop me. Um, so I said, perfect. And I quit hockey. It's over. I'm good. I'm going to get a job. And this nightmare is over. And uh, I go home. I didn't do anything. I didn't continue with hockey, nothing. I was just kind of on the Mem Cup ride. And uh, I get a call saying um, Islanders was thinking about taking me in, in the seventh round. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, that's how much I didn't know. I didn't know I went back into the draft. I had no clue. And I was like, I, I, what do you mean they're going to pick me? I, I had no no idea. And then somebody else was going to take me. I was like, what the hell is going on? So nobody picked me up, and I, I had a big sigh of relief. And then when I woke up in the morning, I had three offers. Um, I think Florida, Anaheim, or Florida, Anaheim and Toronto. Toronto was the, the biggest one. And I was like, well, I'll be home. I don't have job. I don't have schooling. Um, and I was going to get a big check for signing my name. And then I thought that was kind of cool. And it's the, and it's Which, the Maple Leafs, right? Like, come on, you grew up in Ontario, regardless if you're a fan or not, it's the Toronto Maple yeah. Like, how do you say no to that? But it's, exactly. interesting. it's interesting because, you know, I was like the same way, man. When I, when I was, you know, here I, it was about to sign a pro contract. And I was thinking like, what the, like I w- it actually made me feel sick to my stomach because I was actually so stressed out about it and s- feeling like this really isn't for me, but what the hell else am I going to do? And this seems like a pretty good option right now. Right. Like, is yeah. that like you must've been feeling too? It sounds like. That's exactly what it was. And, you know, I, I thought that, you know, my, my, my kid brother was, he was my, he was my world. He is my world, but, um, you know, I thought like I I just couldn't wait to get that money, and I I took him right to the mall. And I just I said, "Buddy, you get whatever you want." <laughs> and he went shopping around. He thought he was a king for a day. And, um, got a car. And you buy a car, and then uh, you know you you wait for camp, and that was that was it. I was I was buying. I think I got a check for fifty grand, and I, I was racking up my visa and into camp, waiting for. Uh, October 15th to get the first paycheck. 
Yeah. And, and that's another thing that is widely, widely missed, I think, in, in junior hockey. And you can say, oh, it lies on the agents, this and that. But there's a huge education piece where we're just getting ready for real life. And especially the guys, you know, in your case, getting a check for 50 grand. Like if you don't know what to do with that money, like it can it can be disastrous, like, you know, and 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 cause a lot of problems. You know, if you know, I had Ian White on the podcast a while back and, you know, he he talks about that. I mean, I saw him. I played with him in junior with his signing bonus, just partying, just just on a just on a high thinking he was untouchable because look at yeah. me. I got my show money. You know, nobody can tell him anything um, yeah. and, and look out, right? But, I mean, it's really cool that you took your your little brother to the to the mall and stuff. I mean, like, you know, yeah. all the things that, you know, we're talking about here, like, that's a that's a pretty awesome story. So tell me about going into uh, to camp and, and, like, getting ready for, for your first season of pro and, and, like, what the hell's going through your mind now? And, and let's, let's not forget that you just fought – probably well over a hundred times in junior in the three years, just with the Spitfires. And yeah. now you're, now you're stepping into the American hockey league um, first exhibition with the NHL and then uh, the American hockey league where the guys are now, you know, huge and, and men. And um, tell us a little bit about the experience, dude. Like I, I think it's different it, for everybody, but it, it's challenging, right? Yeah. So the first camp I did, I thought I did well. Um, I didn't get any exhibition that year. I just, Oh, I did play like the, like the rookie camp that they had in the beginning and that and the other. And uh, when they sent us to the, to the Marley camp, um, it was kind of weird for me because I had Dallas Eakins who was, is the most amazing man. Like I still have the most respect for that guy. Like he, that's one guy that always came back and looked for me and made sure that I was okay in the end. You know what I mean? But um he didn't want me to fight. He didn't want me to fight. He didn't want me to square off. I was, and it was the first time I ever had a coach that didn't, didn't want, he wanted me to work on my skill and this, that and I was like, what do you, what's, what's going on? Like, cause I know like the AHL, there were some heavy hitters, especially at that time that Morasky and yeah. Blonsky and, you know, I think Rashir did a round in that league at that year. I think like there were some heavy guys and Zen and Kanopka too was down there. Like, yeah. Like, and then, so now I have to get a fight. Like he wanted like in the moment, like pure heart fights, you know what I mean? Like battle, battle fights. So anyways, um, I didn't, I don't think I got any during exhibition and it made me wait till opening season. And the very first game I fought, uh, Neil, this guy named Neil, and we went for about a minute and 15, a minute and 20 seconds, and we were throwing. Like, it was an awesome fight. And uh, at the end of the fight, I gave him a pat on the head. He gave me a pat on the head. We went to the box, and I remember I got back to the dressing room after at the end of the game, and Brian Burke came into the room, and he goes, don't you ever fucking do that again. He goes, don't you ever pat somebody on the head after a fight. I, I couldn't believe it, but I never did pat anybody on the head after that again. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Eh? I mean, it's those little things, right? And it's like somebody else. I just thought, 
Somebody like, else used could look at that. Somebody else could look at that and be like, "Hey, man, that's awesome. Respect." Yeah. I, and then yeah. somebody else comes in and and does that. And I mean, there you are, rookie. You're trying to make a name and and thinking you're yeah. doing something well. And then there's somebody to to instead of say, "Hey, man, good job. Way to put yourself out there. Way to do this. Find a way to to kind of bring you down." And that's something that that can really mess with, with somebody's mind, especially in that situation. So talk to me a little bit about um, how, where the, the dependency started to come from, from painkillers and, and, and all of that, because it's, it was a nightmare, right? Like a real yeah, nightmare. It was, it was through that year. I, I got about halfway through the year and I was, I was off and on. I wasn't completely physically dependent. And then I took uh, a concussion, um, I think I want to say, yeah, I fought, uh, I fought a guy in Manitoba and, uh, I did a full shift. The guy wouldn't fight me the whole game. I did a full shift. And, uh, then after my shift, they threw out all their heavies. And so I had done a full shift and then a brawl had broken out and I'm stuck out there trying to get the guy to go and he wouldn't go and go and go. And then I finally went to go break off of him and he threw a punch, got me. And then we started fighting, but I had nothing in me, nothing in me at all. And then, uh, I took a bad punch. I went down. And then after that, I wasn't playing at all and I didn't have any routine and the pills started coming and I kept buying, kept buying, kept buying. And when then after, say, but when kept when you say kept buying, yeah. um, did you were you getting them from a team doctor down like from there originally and then no and then, not no it was the, all yeah it was all purchased and uh at that point it was it was getting bad like i i, I noticed i would only take them at night time and that was all right but when i started using them during the day and then i think it was about a week of that when i, I started using them during the day and then i woke up one day in complete cold sweats and that was the beginning of the end. And that was just towards the end of my first year. First and, year, uh, first year pro. And yeah. just to put things into perspective here. Now you're uh, 20, 20, 21. 21. And this was, 20. you know, I, I had a similar experience, man, in, in my first year pro doing the same thing. And the reason why I want to put this in perspective is because nobody knew, right? No. So now, no. now you're trying to do this all on your own, trying to keep it undercover. Were you worried about, uh, people, uh, you know, teammates or coaches or trainers or doctors finding out, thinking your hockey career was over. Or did you even care? I didn't care about my career, man. I really didn't. It never crossed my mind once. Um, I, I think at some point, sometimes I look back and it's almost like I wanted to get caught or, or what, but I never, as, as for hockey, like I was, um, I was a hometown. I stayed at home, right. When I played. So, I wasn't around the guy. I didn't go out with any of the guys after hockey or, or you know, I mean, I'd go to the bars or anything like that. I, I'd go home and do my own thing all the time. So I kind of slid underneath the radar the whole time. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's tough, man. That's tough. Uh, to what extent, like you, I, I don't know how much you want to go into this detail, but you told yeah, me, yeah, I'm good. You told me a couple of stories, like, you know, just for people listening or watching, like, you know, when you, you wake up in the cold sweats, um, what was going through your, your mind in, in that moment? Um, were you like, holy shit, I got a problem? Or was it like, holy shit, I need to do another pill? Yeah, the first time I was like, oh, what the heck's going on? And I'm trying to call people. 
like trying to figure it out. You know what it's like trying to call somebody at 11 in the morning, you know, trying to pick up that stuff. Everybody's sleeping. Yeah. And you, you're due, you're due at the ring for, cause I wasn't playing that night, but I was due at the ring for five o'clock because, um, you had to show up for the games, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the last game of the season when, when this happened. And, uh, I knew I just had to get through that day and the end of the year party. And then I was going to try and dry out and I tried and failed. And then I would try again and fail. And then the signing bonus that year came in. <laughs> because it, it was two installments yeah so that, that's yeah that that summer was hell because you know i was completely broke spent all my money you're waiting for the signing bonus to come in and then you get the signing bonus part come in and then that lasts like three four weeks and then you're going into year two and you're going into camp and you realize you're out of shape you didn't train hard so you start juicing so you're going to try and catch up you're playing a game of catch up. So you're in shape for the season. So I had left, I had left season my first year pro at 225. And uh, I came into camp my second year at 265. And I sweated out and tried to lose 10 pounds before I went to camp. So I was about 275. I remember at one point that summer I was 282. And I left at 225. That's how hard I was juicing. And I wasn't. Juicing and, and using pills, right? Yeah. So I wasn't, you know, you're just doing beach body work and doing the minors and doing a lot of drugs and just demolishing your body. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a good scene. And I showed up to camp and I, I, you know, I let ended the first year on a, on a concussion. So you know, I dealt with a lot of depression and I wasn't a hundred percent going into my second year. And, uh, so their idea was to send me to Pennsylvania for a conditioning stint because they just assumed I was out of shape to Reading in the coast. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I went there. So of course I was trying to grab as much drugs as I could to get down there and, because I knew what was going to happen when I went to Pennsylvania when I didn't have drugs on me. So, you know, I went there and uh, I ran out of drugs and I, it forced me to dry out, to be honest with you. Like I did, I did end up drying out there for a bit, but every time I go back to Toronto, I was, I was screwed. You know what I mean? It was just back into the whirlwind. I know exactly. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah. Me way too many times. Um, so when you when you uh, when you that was like the first time you went through withdrawals was in like writing like full withdrawal or like what what was that no, like? No, it was then before you know? that. It was before that. But uh, when I went to Reading, that one sucked for sure because I was staying in a hotel with uh, a dear friend of mine at the time, uh, Robert Slaney. He's actually a doctor now. Um, Imagine he, that. Yeah, he's a, just a beautiful man, like great guy one of the most important people I've ever met uh, playing hockey. Um, but yeah, he knew, he, he knew for sure. Like, I was a mess and it, it forced me to dry out. It was, it was a hard, hard three weeks. I ended up losing. I was down to like two twenty five. I lost like 30 pounds in like four weeks when I was, when I first got there. Pushing through, going to the rink, 
with no energy, can't keep no. anything down, all that. No. Did the same thing in Holland, and it was the worst time of my life. Worst. Three weeks, three weeks of it, and then I cracked, bro. And I, I got in a plane, and I just remember that flight home from Amsterdam was the longest flight of my life. And as soon as I flew into Vancouver, instantly back to it and you know I've, I've, I flew into vancouver like three or four times that happened you know like it, yeah but when you say that like i know and like that's the that's the power of addiction so you come yeah. back from from pennsylvania and you know was that the end uh did you finish out in pennsylvania or did you finish out in toronto it was a two-year deal right that you were on it was a three-year deal three-year yeah. nhl deal so here okay yeah so i i went to uh back to toronto and I was doing all, I, I was using again. And then they sent me back to Pennsylvania and I had to dry out again. I wasn't there long, but then, uh, this big guy from, uh, Trenton, New Jersey, he, I didn't even have the puck, but I went behind the net. It was after a whistle. And this guy was, I think about six, seven. He was a really big man and he just, blindsided me i lot next thing i remember was just looking up my feet in the air and i was looking up at my feet because i was completely airborne and i came down on my head and uh after that i next thing i remember i was i was throwing up in the in the change room and uh they said you're done and i said well i want to go out and drop them and then i'm done and they said you know if you go out on the ice and you can stand on your feet then i'll let you so i went out on waited for the end of the period and then when the next period started i went out because i was going to go grab them and then i got on the ice and my knees were buckling as i was standing there there's no way i could be able to fight this guy <laughs> just going to make it worse so I, I called it and that was the last game i ever played wow and and so you, you're gone like were you at that time was it a sign of of relief um but it was really kind of the start of, of some suffering to come, right? Like trying to find your yeah. way out at the depression from the concussion, the addiction now starting. And now all of a sudden it looks like maybe you don't have hockey to kind of keep yourself glued together is uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, coming out, you still had the one year in the contracts so or you're still getting one more check, right? Yeah, I, I didn't, I, I didn't think I was healed from the first concussion. And then I, my dad flew out. Um, I actually had my truck in town. He, he took, he took a flight out. He drove me home in my truck and, uh, I was, um, doing rehab for like my break, like all the baseline testing and everything else in Toronto. They were looking after me for the rest of that season. Um, but I was using a lot, a lot and I was in a dark room and, uh, that's all that I could do to shut my brain off and, you know, I think after like eight months, I still wasn't even beaten 50% of my baseline test. And it was, it was an awful time, man. Awful time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, dude, I'm just, I'm just thinking about you sitting there, like having to go through that and just like, it's, it's horrible. Like how many people around you at that time, uh, obviously the concussion people knew about, but at that time, how many people knew that you were like using drugs and when was like that first kind of intervention? My mom, my dad kind of knew, um, my mom would try to corner me all the time, but never worked. I always, I, I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't say I fooled them, but they, 
would kind of just turn a blind eye to it or something. Like my mom would try her best to to say something, but we didn't have the best relationship at the time. So like, I think it was hard for her to get control of me. And um, with my dad, like he, I think he just almost didn't want to believe it. Um, and then at the end of uh, the second year into the third year, I didn't even go to the rink anymore. I was just getting a paycheck and I was, and I was on the streets. I was getting these paychecks and I was in dens. I was, you know what I mean? You know how it was like you're dealing with drug dealers all day. You're running around town. You're chasing, you're doing just stupid shit. So anything to, Anything to maintain that addiction, and pretty soon it becomes every waking second of your day, right? And yeah. you said it's not like, at least for me, man, like I didn't want to be hanging out with the drug dealers, but I had to because they had what my body needed. And yeah, and it's like you got to keep those guys close because if I don't, then everything else in my life I'm not gonna be able to do because I'm gonna be so sick. And it just becomes a very, uh, Man, it's it's exhausting for one. It's a full time job. That's a real full time job is being addicted to opiates. Uh, how long did that last for you? Uh, like le- leading out of hockey, obviously you get that other uh, signing bonus plus a paycheck all year. Uh, you're saying you're kind of living in the streets, uh, hanging out with drug dealers, uh, shacks, all that stuff. Um, how long did that last for for you? And and what was the what was your bottom? Like what um, was it, man? Like where did I you was. I did, uh, like, I, honestly, it was a full 10 years. Um, okay. I was off and on, like, I, like I was, was never homeless or anything like that. Like, I, I always lived somewhere, but I was bouncing around all over the place. Um, when I was, like, 22, I started working on the road, and that kind of helped because I'd be gone for 11 days, home for three. So you're in a different city all the time and and stuff like that. That kind of helped. And then uh, when my daughter was born, my dad tried to get me a job back at home. And then that could have been the worst thing for me because now I'm back at home, right? And everything's accessible. And I got a paycheck coming all the time. And, you know, they would try to stop it. But, you know, how are you going to stop a drug addict, right? So, uh, and it, it kept, it kept going on, kept going on. And then, um, finally I I went through a bad breakup and, uh, I started turning my life around slowly. I got in a really bad car wreck. And then after that point, um, I started to slowly turn things around and then, uh, I met my wife and from then on it just things started rolling and she was, she was my angel for sure. Like, uh, what year is I that? I couldn't imagine. Um, geez, that would have been five years ago now. So, so you've five been, years ago. you've been on, you've been kind of on the path to, to re- like, maybe not redemption is the right word, but recovery and kind of, you know, off, off the pills and in that for, for quite some time now. Right. Yeah. It's been, well, it's been over five years now. It's incredible. How many times did you try uh, before before getting it? Would you say? I'd say at least fifteen, twenty times. Like I, I, 
I tried rehab. I tried detoxing. I tried locking myself down. My parents tried locking me down. It came to the point that when I would get these small chances of clear clearness in my brain where I would call my mom and be like, mom, I need to clean out for a week. Like, can I come stay at that? They'd be like, no, you're not coming here. <laughs> like, you know, I don't blame them. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? How serious could I have been? Right. But, um, that's just the way it was. Like, you just burn out all your chances. Right? It's, it's wild. It's wild. So when you ended up, you know, getting clean for the final time, like, did you go through the withdrawal and, and all that? And, and what did that look like for you? And, and was it, uh, was it hard off the bat for you or, or did you, was it kind of just the obsession to use was lifted because you got your wife and your life seems to be uh, on track. Like just, Share with us, if you don't mind, a little bit about that, like how long the progress was to maybe get to the point where it's like, hey, man, like, you know, I got this. Like, you know, that's in the past now because that doesn't happen. For well, it yeah, kind of slowly, slowly trickled down, I'd say, about eight years ago. And it was more of like a hit or miss whether I was actively using or not. And um, uh, I was working a job at a company and uh, I started really taking my work serious. And um, I started doing really well for myself. And then I kind of just dropped everything. And it, that, because when you're just periodically using, I had already gone through my, my sickness point, right? Yeah. So it, it just finally, the last time, didn't really grab me. And, um, I started focusing more on myself and, you know, I kind of got the right help and the right people surrounding me and, uh, finally found a way to kind of control my brain. And, uh, it just, that was the biggest thing, right? That, that that's, the, that was the thing that it's just trying to keep my brain under control. So, well, I know. And it sounds, sounds like we should have, we, we should, have that a little more dialed in but i think every a lot of people you know right there's a lot of people and it's a it's a struggle it's a struggle and so i'm so glad that you're there i'm curious is to where you're at with concussions now and and reflecting back and and you know would you do it all over again no never never i would i wouldn't pick up a stick if i could do it over again really um, um i it was a lot of heartache. It was a lot of stress. It was, uh, you know, obviously there was a lot of good times. I met a lot of great people and people I wouldn't trade for anything. Um, but, um, where I'm at in my life and what I do for a living, you know what I mean? Hockey didn't really attribute to any of that. You know what I mean? Like it, it was purely my hard work. Um, and, and support system that I had. Um, like, I'm not going to say I hate hockey. It was just, it, it just, it was a bad cocktail and the way the money came and the way my life kept spiraling. Like it was it just left a bitter taste for me, I guess. At what point in time do you think the hockey community, um, whether it be, an organization you had ever been in, like what, what point in time do you think they started to take notice that maybe you had an addiction issue and did any of them, and we don't have to go through with the teams you play. And again, we're not pointing fingers, but did any of them once 
And if they found out, did they ever reach out to check on you? Yeah, they, like they knew, like especially in junior, they they knew afterwards. Because I, um, I would get reports that they they uh, like dealing with Doctor Shaw and like those guys, like Larry Landon, like they pulled me into an office and and said because uh, I had my I had a settlement from Pennsylvania for the last concussion. And um, you have your insurance that you pay into when you're playing pro, right? Yeah. And uh, they said if I pissed in the cup, they would go down and tell the insurance company to write my last check from the insurance. And I was like, I'm not pissing in that cup because I knew I was dirty at the time, right? And they still didn't pay me out the, the insurance money because they had reports that, you know, I was using drugs and that, that could have been what, uh, ended my career, not the, not the concussion. And, and at that point in time, was there, you know, that's the, that's the, you know, in question you're in drugs, but even if they knew that, did anybody go, Hey, Hey Rich, like, can we get you some help here? Like what's really going on? They like at the time they were saying that, you know, we have free, care i can go to a rehab up in bracebridge blah 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 i wasn't ready to do that it, it kind of seemed like once i was ready to do that i'd ask them and they would say oh no your two years is up by the time i was finally ready to go to rehab they said that i wasn't covered anymore because it was after two years of my last game played and uh they would always say oh we might have an emergency fund somewhere or something like that but i never nothing ever would come of it so wow. that's uh yeah but they there was guys that did know that it was an active addiction and stuff like that and they would reach out and help as much as if yeah. they could help you know what i mean they they would ask i guess briefly that's but what, nobody nobody knew I, where to get a hold of me anyway that's yeah that's that's more what i mean is just uh you know again again uh we we can only help so much uh you know when somebody is in addiction they have to really find it within themselves to, to be able to pull themselves out. And uh, yeah, man, but it's still, it's still, I'll tell you, like, it's still nice to have people um, checking on you. Like, did you ever feel like, Hey man, I put a lot on the line, protect, you probably protected your teammates quite a bit and, and everything else. Did you ever feel like, like, do you have resentment towards hockey for any of it? Like, no, I, to be honest with you, fighting was the thing I enjoyed most of it. Okay. You know what I mean, there's a lot of times, even now to this day, I wish I could get a freebie one day or something like that just to drive somebody. But um, you should come play in the senior league with me, buddy. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't really hear much from guys afterwards. You know, I I was a different person, and um, you know, I I lose sleep every single day over things I did and people I did wrong and people i've heard um you know and and i apologize deeply for for the person i was um i was burning people and and i was just an asshole and there's nothing i could say i ruined a lot of relationships and to this day i still even know how i could ever repay or, or apologize or anything like that right so um if anyone ever does see this, you know, I, I just want them to know that I'm good and I apologize and I'm, I'm sorry for how I was. Right. 
takes a man to say that dude. And, uh, you know, I, I, when I'm, I just, I know, I know what it's like to feel like that. And, and, you know, I'm sure there's some relationships that have come back, but there's probably some that haven't and maybe will never. And that's the same for me as well. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate your honesty there, man, because it's, you know, we've talked about it, uh, before this, uh, some of the things and the lengths we've gone to, to, to get what our body was calling for. Um, and it's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, it's legitimately crazy. Uh, you know, I never thought growing up that, you know, a pill, um, would get my body feeling a certain way and then all of a sudden need it. And then the next thing, you know, it would take me on a, a 12 year, uh, journey through hell. And I'm sure you never thought that growing up either. Um, how much did you know about those pills? Uh, you know, when you first started, like, did you know that they had addictive properties? I meant to ask you this earlier. Um, and did you ever have the time where maybe once you did know, did you be like, ah, no, like this, I got this, this isn't going to happen to me. Like, you know, I got this, like, whatever, like. I, I, I knew they had addictive properties, but I really, it didn't even really affect me at the time because it was, it finally turned my brain off. So I, I, I wasn't really too worried about how it affected me. You know what I mean? It was just something that would finally let my brain go to, go at ease. So um, that's all I was thinking about at the time, really. And like, yeah. And like, like I said earlier, like the story about like the Dr. Shaw and stuff like that, the reason I got there was because my old coaches had said something about me being an active addiction. So instead of reaching out to me, they had reached out to Dr. Shaw and Larry Landon. And, you know, that's, that, I think that was their way at, of trying to get to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And that's the thing, right? It's like, again, I, nothing that I do or we ever have talked about on the show really is about like pointing fingers. Um, yeah. It could have had the best of intentions uh, and, and who knows, but I still think uh, there's just there's such a lack there, uh, certainly in the hockey culture. And I think it just in general, you know, coming through schools and that, like there's not enough awareness about just real life, making the right, choices managing money like all this stuff like where i don't know if i just missed all those days in school but i never learned any of that in school like in high school no. not even close no, no. Like I, it, you're in there right like a week oh we're doing this yeah drugs. everybody pick a drug do a project ever get in front of the class talk about it in point form i'm not listening after the first five seconds so good luck getting through to me and the rest of the people like I just feel like we're missing and, and people are, are going down uh, these paths when maybe it could be prevented. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, it's, they had uh, in Toronto, they had some guys come in saying, Oh, try come with, come, come have a meeting and invest with us, this, that, and the other, but it was more so of like, they were trying to get our business. You know what I mean? Instead of like teaching us something, it was more so trying to get us to bring our money to them. So in, turn they make money you know what i mean and i and i was i was all for helping out retired guys you know what i mean but in like paying it forward that way but they 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 approached it more of like you know keep it in our hockey community instead of like you know this is what you need to do because this is what happened so and it's very easy to be influenced as a as a young pro right like again oh yeah in that in that culture being around it 
And if you don't know and, and people around you, they seem successful. They seem like they have your best interest in heart and, and maybe they do, but just the whole way um, that things are done, maybe it's not for everybody. And, you know, there's so much good uh, in hockey, but there's just so much that, you know, people, I just think don't really understand that, that, that the players go through definitely at that level. And, and, you know, you're a, a prime example of it. And I just, uh, I really appreciate the honesty, dude. And and just, you know, hockey is, you know, I loved hockey as a kid. I I, I always loved it, um, but I never really loved playing junior. I never loved pro. Um, I don't miss it. People always ask me if you could go back, would you? And I say the same thing. No, uh, absolutely not. Yeah. I love to be on the ice just messing around, but absolutely not. Um, because of all the things that you talked about, just the stress, the anxiety, um, just, I don't know. I was just in a state of constant fear, fight or flight mode constantly, um, on edge. And, uh, you know, just something that's not talked about enough. I just, I can't reiterate enough how grateful I am for, for you sharing your story. Tell us a little bit before I let you go, uh, tell us a little bit about where you're at today and, and what's going on for, for Richard these days for anybody? Maybe we got some old Windsor Spitfire fans out there that watch me play or, or give us a little update about what life is like today. I live a real simple life. I, uh, we have our, our trailer for the weekends up in, in Coal Hill. We have, um, I got uh, a son. I got, uh, he's, he'll be four in January. I have a daughter. She's eight. And I got another little one on the way. Nice. Coming in uh, June. Um, we are pretty excited about that. I, uh, I'm a sewer and water main foreman for a small company out in Stouffville, Ontario. They're great people, small family owned company. And, you know, it's been real nice change going to that place. Um, they're, they've been great people. And, uh, my wife's a bank manager in, uh, Port Perry and we live on uh, some farmland up in North of Port Hope and, just a simple nice quiet life um well not quiet it's hectic <laughs> as hell with the young ones but um on the way you know, <laughs> yeah it's just it, it's just a it's been a, it's been life's been great it's been it's been nice and it's uh it's pretty remarkable like if you think back and i hate to take you back there but you know five six years ago yeah, I know. um you know, do you think, would you ever, ever believe that you could get to the point you're at? Honestly, man, I, like I, I told my wife when we first got together, like uh, things are good now, but I said, you know, at, at this point in my life, I didn't plan on being alive. You know, you're out there trying to rub, rob drug dealers and fighting guys that pull knives on you. And you know what I mean? Like you're doing stupid stuff, trying to die basically. and you you don't plan on being alive at this age. You know, I wasn't planning on being alive at this age. Never mind being successful and and having the family I do. But um, you know, things turned around. So you know, thank God they did. Well, you're 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 a fighter, right? That's what that's what you do. And and I just I'm so glad that you did. And it you know it could have been so much worse and you just touched on it briefly things like robbing drug dealers and getting into fights where you know and you know i had similar experiences you know i just didn't even think i just react the gloves come off and we're going and that's it and then we're, it's not like but you don't go to the box after some of these fights right and things happen no. and, 
and so the fact that today both uh, we're not you know using drugs is remarkable. The fact that we are alive is remarkable, and that we didn't get you know injured or seriously injure um, you know people out there. And so it's like you know I just. I count my blessings. I'm really thankful uh, that you were able to pull yourself out of it too, man. And I'm, I just feel lucky to have you in my life, dude. I know that we've been texting and talking for the last little while. And I I feel, uh, I know that you're always there and someone that I can kind of lean on. I know you're a couple years younger than me for people watching or listening. He's two years younger than me. He's an 89. Um, But you know, I kind of almost like, you know, when we got to talk and almost in a sense, look up to you and know that I can, can rely on you. Cause I can just, I sense right off the hop that you're just a solid, solid person um, with such a great heart and, and just a great intention. So I'm going to, there's just a couple comments that I want to get to before I, before I let you yeah, know, um, especially from Steve Curtis. I think he's must be from Windsor or maybe, Oh no, Marley's Richard was one of the toughest and nicest guys I ever met during my time on the equipment staff of the Marley's happy to see him share his story. Steve Curtis, you know who that is? Yeah, I remember him. How's it going, buddy? That's, that's awesome. Um, pretty cool that he's watching tonight. Stuart Smith watching assistant fire chief in Abbotsford, friend of mine just was out here last month. Uh, Richard, thank you for so much or so much for openly and honestly sharing your story. Conversations like this will help so many others to overcome their own struggles. Stay strong. Thank you, Stuart, for watching. Thank yeah, you, he's a great dude. Uh, Dean Smeal, another in St. Paul, Alberta. What's up, Dino? Incredible story. I'm glad you're telling us about it. Proud of you, uh, Dean, out there in uh, St. Paul, brother, yeah, brother of Stan Smeal, the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Danny James, my old personal coach, actually, when I was a kid, believe it or not, from the he's now in the Philippines. We got people in the Philippines. Oh yeah, watching. Oh yeah, let's, let's go. Did Richard just say a freebie? Remember when he said they get a freebie? Yeah. Right? That was awesome. I like that. I, I like, that. I like the freebie. Uh, oh, Igor's watching. He's uh, he's in Australia. We're in Australia as well. Richard, you seem like cool. such a great dude. Takes a special type of person to be as open as you are. I couldn't agree more. Um, Matthew Meanser down there in Argentina says, thank you for sharing your story, Rich. I hope that stories like this help hockey change for the better. Um, Matthew also says, I hope hockey stories like this help people see they are not alone and seek help when they need it. Thank you, Matthew, down there in the southernmost part of Argentina, Ushuaia, Argentina. Did I say that right, Matthew? I think I did. Sandra Murray uh, says, thank you for sharing your experience. Wishing you continued health and happiness for you and your family. Hello, Sandra in Michigan. Um, she was, uh, uh, you remember uh, when Terry Trafford passed away? Uh, in Saginaw, um, remember hearing about yeah. that? Story? She was uh, part of the crisis intervention team uh, with Saginaw, oh, wow. and, yeah, and does some some work. Going to do some work with us moving forward. Just kind of waiting on me to uh, put my foot on the gas here. Um, Susan from all the way upstairs says, "Love the podcast, uh, and you have survived and close to visit." So I guess you have a you got to come up here and visit. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Sure. Igor also says the world is a better place with you in it, Richard. Yeah, uh, Chris Benoit says, great hearing these. Thanks, man. Keep it up. My dad also watching. Sat, scout for the oh, right Yeah, says thanks for sharing. Hello, dad. Miss you. Merry Christmas. I haven't seen my dad in way too long. Love you. 
Um, Steve Curtis is watching live, says, I'm doing great, brother. Keep up the good fight. Still living in Toronto. A um, couple more, buddy. Darren Bruff, so awesome to see another survivor. Thank you for sharing your story. It helps so many. Stay strong. Love life. What's up, Darren? That's my buddy. I hope you don't mind, Darren. Um, you said it there. You're also uh, a survivor and somebody that uh, has battled yeah. well. Super proud of you. Um, and second last one, Michelle Miner, watching down there in Low Banks, Ontario. Uh, you were the same age, I believe, as Daniel. Um, her son would have been the same draft year uh, to the O. Um, they're watching. Um, love you. She says, thanks for sharing your powerful story. Um, and I did get you Shwaya. Right, Matthew. Mm-hmm. We did. We did get it right. right on. Anyways, man, I know you're you're super busy, but we'll have to connect again sometime. For yeah, absolutely. Man. For most, sure. most importantly, I would love to get you up here at some point, or I'll come to you. At, we got to get together, man. Maybe get the kids together. Yeah. It's world if it ever goes back to normal, man. Um, is there anything else that I missed that you want to touch on? No, honestly, I I. I we could answer questions forever to be honest with you. So, you know, we can always do this again. So awesome, man. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, I just, dude, I'm just thankful for you and, and your friendship and thank you for sharing your story. And, um, if you ever have a burning desire to come back on the show, you just text me or call me and we'll make it happen. But more than anything, um, I'm super happy just to have you as a friend in my life. I feel grateful for that. Absolutely. Me too, man. And, uh, thank your, thank your wife for me, for letting me, or yeah, for the last hour and a bit, man. Uh, she's fine. She likes the kids. <laughs> awesome, Rich, man. We'll talk soon. I really appreciate your time, dude. I'm proud. Right, man. Take care. I'm proud of you. Thanks, man. You too. Awesome, guys. That's uh, Richard Greenup, former Windsor Spitfire Memorial Cup champ. We didn't even talk about the Mem Cup, really. We're talking about real life issues. This is not really a hockey podcast. I like to get the perspective of where people were at while playing the game of hockey. But you know what? There's, I said this, and I hate to say this because it's like I can't even say it without people knowing that maybe there's certain podcasts I'm talking about. But I have to say it, and with no disrespect, there's certain podcasts out there that, in my opinion, which doesn't mean I'm right, but in my opinion, I think they're dangerous. Not everything they do on those podcasts, but a lot of the topics on some hockey podcasts, in my personal opinion, are dangerous. Glorifying partying, glorifying drugs, demoralizing women. It's all the shit that people want to talk about is bad with hockey culture, but then go ahead and promote it and support it. And listen, is it entertaining? Maybe for some. It's not to me when I've lived through some of that hell and I have to listen and then I've talked to people on this show who have live through it the other side the other side of it and aren't laughing about it they're not laughing about it um there's just so much work to be done um there's always time for fun i'm not the fun police here not the fun police but there's a lot of work to be done i'm sick of losing people i can't i can't do it anymore I can't. I can't do it. I've been saying it. I'm done sitting back. I'm done sitting back. Honestly, I'm done. I got certain person in my life that's in politics that I'm going to a message and say, how do I actually, what would you suggest? I'm not going to out this person. 
because I one, I don't even know if he or she is going to do it. But this is the plan that I'm devising in my head because I'm freaking tired of it. Like I can't, I can't, I don't know if I have any more tears inside my body to cry. Now I'm just starting to get pissed off. But I need to know how to go about it. Because if I go out, I'm go after, I will go out guns a blazing and probably do more damage than good. People will get the point. But I want to be on the positive side of this. I legitimately am willing to invest all of my time, everything for nothing, whatever I can do to make a difference. People are really struggling. And I just want to talk about drugs for a minute. And we could talk about hockey players, but we're talking about just people in general. There is not enough being done. Not even close. It's not about blaming anybody. I'm not blaming the government. I'm not blaming this. I'm not blaming that. There's no time for blaming. There's zero time for blaming here. What's done is done. We can't rewrite the past. Trust me. There's a lot of things that I wish I could change. A lot. And not for my personal life. We've lost a lot of good people. A lot of good people. And we will continue to lose a lot of a lot more good people if we don't do something about it. There's people out there that can do something about this. And it's gonna be a slow process. We don't fix it overnight. Something needs to change. Something needs to change. I might not see it in my life where I would like to see it. But you better bet your ass I'm gonna die trying. I can't even go right now to the fact that I've lost yet another friend, somebody so, I just can't even, I just can't even. I want to give away a puck support too. I don't know if I'll ever be able to address this death on my podcast. I'm not even kidding. Um, I just want everyone to know though out there and I'm not not just saying this like I'm going to be okay. I know my dad is really concerned. My dad was the very first person that I called when I found out. And my dad's really worried. I, I think people are worried. Um can't really talk too much about it. But I promise that me personally for anybody that's worried about me, I'm okay. Am I hurting? Yes, I'm hurting. Am I going to cry more? Yeah, I'm going to cry a lot more. But I'm going to be okay. There's no chance of me going back. Nothing, nothing in this world could hurt me or affect me so bad or in any way to push me back into the life of addiction. There's things that, I, yes, may sound cocky. There's things I, I continue to need to do. Yes, I get it. But I truly mean that. I feel like I am protected from that. And I can't tell you why or how. But I feel like as far as it comes from to addiction and that, 
Like I have a force field around me. And I believe it's them behind me. It's not about me. It's about getting this message out, bringing people together, working with other individuals and groups that want to see change, that, that have felt the pain, that are sick of sitting back and doing nothing about it. It's time for me to go before I break down. Thank you to everyone who's ordered. Pucksupport.com. We have a little bit of a boxing day sale going on. So if you check that out, uh, pucksupport.com, promo code HOPE, it's going to save you 20% for the next couple of days. If you're watching this live, if you're listening, if it's after the December 30th, it's not going to work. Um, the clothing line is great. It's great. I love it. Um, it's unbelievable to see people in it. It continually brings tears to my eyes. You guys have no idea. Happy tears, though. Happy, sad tears. But it's just one thing. Clothing line, like, it's great. Like, yes, sure, there's nice slogans and there's awareness. But this isn't saving lives right now. At least, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe we're making a difference. What I'm trying to say is that I'm ready to do more. I want to do more. I just, I don't know. I can't sit back. I can't sit back. Anyways, thank you to Richard Greenup. Appreciate him. I hope it was helpful for some of you guys out there. Thank you for watching live. I'm going to give away this toque. We'll just do it through the, ch through the chat. It's one of our new toques. There's no name in it yet, but I'm going to put... Um, our newest angel's name in that and send it to whoever wins this. So in the chat, I'm just going to ask, uh, what team did Richard Greenup get drafted by in the NHL? Which team did Richard Greenup get drafted by in the NHL? Throw it up in the chat right now. You win this puck support too. I'm going to give some love to our friends over at Pride Tape. Make sure you check them out. I had my, my guy, Curtis Gabriel, texting me during the pod. He's, uh, he's become a great friend, um, doing some great work, super proud of him to see him on the ice. And, you know, that's, I have a lot of people checking in on me and I just appreciate all of you guys. I'm really thinking of his family right now. Fuck. Some love from Pride Tape. We'll be right back with the winner. Pocket of Hell and Back is brought to you by Pride Tape. 
Pride Tape is a badge of support from teammates, coaches, parents, and pros to young LGBTQ players. It shows every player that they belong playing the sport they love and that we're all on the same team. Show your support for teammates, coaches, and fans in the LGBTQ community by wrapping your stick with Pride Tape. Every roll of tape will make an impact in sports and beyond. Inclusion starts with leadership. Check out some of the ideas of how you can get involved at youcanplayproject.org. Check out Pride Tape at pridetape.com. For more information, you can send an email to Aubrey at pridetape.com. That's A-U-B-R-E-E, Aubrey at pridetape.com. You can find Pride Tape on facebook.com slash pridetape, on Twitter at pridetape, and at pridetape on Instagram. Pride Tape thanks all of you for being champions for change. Thank you to our friends over there at Pride Tape. Do your part. Support the cause. I'll throw in a roll of Pride Tape with the winner. We must have one in the comments. Who was the first one? Tukes, not Twerk. Who was the winner? Who was the winner? We got Luke B. Congratulations, Luke. Hit me up. If you follow me on social media or send a message, team at pucksupport.com, T-E-A-M, at pucksupport.com. Thank you for playing along. Everybody else playing along in the chat. Thank you, guys. Luke B is our winner. Congratulations, buddy. Once again, thank you for watching. If you're watching on Facebook, can you please head over to YouTube, subscribe to the YouTube channel. The goal is to be completely off Facebook very soon. I want to have it all condensed in one place. If you're on Facebook now, though, share it to your page if you can. Press the like button. If you're on YouTube, please press the like button. Leave a comment. If you're listening to the audio, please share it with your friends. Rate and review it if you have time. If you liked it, let me know. If you didn't, also let me know. I could take constructive criticism. Reality is about to set in for me as the reality of me losing my friend starts to hit in. Sink in, sorry. You know, every day I look at this picture. And I've had to add so many to this picture. Some that I had the privilege of knowing. Majority that I did not. Every single one hurts. Every single one I look at. And I ask myself why. But now I have to add another close friend. Very close friend of mine. To this picture. If you're struggling out there, the time to get help is now. The time to get help is now. I spoke with a friend of mine the other day that I let him know about this tragedy. And we spoke as the three of us played hockey together. 
he shared with me another story of another guy from our area back home. A guy a few years older than us, a guy who has a hockey podcast, a guy connected to the hockey community out there. He was partying and he thought he was doing cocaine. He thought he was doing cocaine and it turned out to be fentanyl. And he also passed away recently. If you're struggling with drugs, the time is now. It's not a game. I believe in you. I'm here. If you need to talk, but at the end of the day, if you're struggling, you've got to find it inside yourself. You've got to pick yourself up. You're so much stronger than you know. I don't want to have to see anybody else lose their life. I can't. It's... I don't even know how to describe how I feel about all this, to be honest. Anyways. I seriously can't even fucking believe it's real, to be honest. Please check out Puck Support. Look for big things in the new year. We're going we're gonna to bring this to life. We're actually going to support and help people. We're going to do this. We're going to need all your help. Thank you for watching. We'll be back Thursday night, 9 p.m. with Eric Cussin from the same here global mental health movement. If you've ever seen Robin Leonard's helmet, Robin Leonard from the Golden Knights, um, he will, uh, or you'll notice, sorry, that he has hashtag same here on his helmet. And uh, that's what's going on. Hashtag same here. Check them out on social media. The founder, Eric Cussin, joining the show Thursday, 9 p.m. Eastern right here. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you to Richard Greenop. Hopefully we'll see you all Thursday. I'm going to get some much needed rest and probably cry myself to sleep, to be honest. But just remember... Everything is going to be okay. So I keep telling myself anyways. Thank you guys. Take care of each other. Be kind. Stay grateful. And remember, have a great day. If you so choose. I want the real stuff, everybody listen up Cause I'll only say it once, I'm gonna show you all the path If you want it bad, I'm gonna show you every side Yeah, how you can get it back, yeah, cause I ain't never done I'll be number one, working hella hard until I get just what I want Yeah, rise just like the sun, yeah, fatal like a gun Shooter's gonna shoot and I'm gonna shoot until I fall Yeah, let's do it all So I gotta get through it, and the only thing I know is to love what I'm doing. Never give up, never slow till I finally prove it. Never listen to the nose, I just wanna keep moving. Yeah, I put out all the art, it's my only medicine. Yeah, everything I do, I'm just being genuine. Yeah, I'm sick of being screwed, feel my own adrenaline. Yeah, I do just what I do, and I hope you let me in, let me in, yeah. <laughs>
Tchau.